Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today from Grahamstown in South Africa is Professor Mamo Shiledi Mutibe, who is the head of the Division of Pharmacology in the Faculty of Pharmacy at Rhodes University. And Rhodes University, for me, has got one of the most inspiring mottos of where leaders learn. I think that's a fantastic line, a really encapsulating academia and long life learning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Dr. Malka, for that welcoming. It's it's yeah, it's 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 a nice um space that I'm in to be invited to to sit in on this platform that you have. Um I'm truly um pleased to be here today and share you know, my role, my life as an academic, my my life here in Roots with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. It's an absolute pleasure to host you. And to kick off with in your professional sphere, the Faculty of Pharmacy at Rhodes University has several divisions. These include pharmaceutics, pharmaceutical chemistry, pharmacy practice, and pharmacology. As head of the Division of Pharmacology, please can you tell us more about the discipline and some of the work that you do? Um, yes, I, as, as the title says, I'm the head of Division of Pharmacology in the Faculty of Pharmacy. And yeah, pharmacology is one of the courses that is taught in the Bachelor of Pharmacy program. And therefore you then get to have a division of pharmacology. I'm responsible for the teaching and learning of pharmacology in the whole course. That means I'm responsible for the curriculum, the curriculum content. I'm responsible for the assessments, for the management of the division itself. And just to making sure that um, Pharmacology is a course we we meet the requirements for the norms and the standards that are set out also by the Pharmacy Council because uh, Bachelor of Pharmacy is a professional degree. Yes. Perhaps you can also just enlighten us on what pharmacology is exactly, because I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar of going into their clicks, dischem, and understanding <laughs> pharmacy, but perhaps just unpack pharmacology a little bit for us. Okay. Uh, pharmacology itself is is defined is defined as the study of drugs, but that I mean the study of medicines. So in pharmacology, because we are looking at medicines, at the active ingredient, the active component of the medicine itself, we still call them drugs because they are in the raw form. So pharmacology is defined as the study of drugs or study of medicines, and it includes uh, what you know, the effects that the medicines have in the body and what the how the body handles the drugs, how the body handles the medicines and how it responds in the presence of these medicines. So that is largely what is, you know, encompassed in pharmacology as a subject. It is taught in most of the health science uh, courses or the health science degrees. And currently I am responsible for pharmacology within the Bachelor of Pharmacy program. 
It is also taught in, in you know, all other health sciences, in medicine, in physiotherapy, in nursing, in occupational therapy, etc. So what we do is when we teach pharmacology, the main thing is to contextualize it to the discipline. So currently I'm just focused in within uh, with teaching pharmacology within the discipline of pharmacy. Yeah, so that's largely what we do. We talk about medicines, all medicines, what they do to the body, what the body does to them. I think it's a very exciting topic. I did biochemistry in my undergraduate and always fascinates me how different drugs, different molecules interact with the body and ultimately heal people and, and keep them well. Please, can you tell us about some of the milestones that you want to drive or spearhead for, for the division? Well, just to put things in perspective, um, I joined Rhodes University in 2020 after more than 20 years in Sifakumaha 12 Sciences University, SMU. So when I joined Rhodes University, really uh, the, the move was trying to maybe build up on my research profile because I looked at it as joining a, a university which is said to be very research intensive. So that, that's largely what motivated me to get into Rhodes. So I got here in 2020 and lo and behold, there was then a gap. We had to have someone heading the division because the, the head of division had uh, resigned or the other staff members, who, other staff member who had been in the division had just resigned. So there was a need then for leadership. There was a need to have a head. And I guess, you know, you, you get placed in the right places at the right time. I was invited to serve as the head of division. However, when the position was advertised, it was not as head of division. It was just as associate professor. So in terms of the milestones then once I got started is that what we, the one thing that we continuously running on is that we have to ensure that the curriculum is designed and is structured such that it encompasses them. You know, the South African context, you know, one of the issues about curriculum content now is that it has to be decolonized as far as possible. So that is one of our mandate. We have to make sure that our curriculum is decolonized as far as we are able to, and our teaching is cognizant of the, the diverse population of students that we receive in Rhodes. Rhodes used to be an institution that, that you know, was largely accessible to the students, you know, previously advantaged students. But now our student population is largely Black African. And therefore, even in our teaching, we have to be cognizant of that. And our students come from all sorts of demographics. They meet all demographic criteria. We have all ethnicities. We even have international students. We have a, a very good population in terms of numbers of international students. So our teaching has to be framed in that regard. So that is something that we're continuously working on to make sure that the curriculum addresses that. The other thing is to you know, develop or to establish a a good pharmacology research unit within the faculty. And my own research areas is indigenous knowledge systems, traditional medicines. We also look at synthetic compounds in collaboration with our pharmaceutical sciences um, colleagues. So we want to form a good, uh, or set up a good research unit 
in terms of pharmacological activities of all newly synthesized compounds, as well as most of these uh, traditional medicines or medicinal plant extracts that we, we talk about. The other thing is just to develop uh, other postgraduate courses, like such as honors in pharmacology, master's, PhDs, also inclusive of non-pharmacy students like myself, because I'm not a pharmacist, I'm a scientist by nature, yeah, the training. I love how everything has been very serendipitous for you in this move to Rhodes, particularly in terms of your research areas. Please, can you elaborate more on some of the aspects of Indigenous knowledge systems on, um, in a way, being able to potentially commercialize African traditional medicine? Because you know, we will always hear about some of the Western components. In fact, let's say 90% of what we hear about is Western. Maybe what we'll get is rooibos tea. But please, can you, can you elaborate on, on some of these? Because they, I mean, they're so precious, so effective, but not well recognized. Yes. Um, I mean, my interest when it started was just about, you know, pharmacological activities, just maybe doing laboratory work to, to establish whether all of these medicinal plant extracts do actually have some level of efficacy. We would do in vitro studies, depending on what ethnobotanical uses the plant is for. However, as you know, um, you know, people will seek health in different ways. And people are entitled to seek health in, in whatever way they choose to. So we do have conventional medicine that we practice and in the public sector, of course, that is what we have. But we also do know that we have traditional medicine as a sector. However, it's largely unregulated. And the government, as well as the National Department of Health is obligated as the responsibility of ensuring that all medicinal products and or health products that are used by the public are safe, uh, are effective as they are said to be, and are produced, you know, they are of good quality. And SAPRA is the statutory body responsible for that. So currently with traditional medicines or medicinal, you know, products that originate from traditional medicine use, there is no regulation in place from, a gov from the government side. But then there are, products that are now being offered on the market, you know, especially now after COVID, there's so many products that are being put out there by anyone who has the knowledge or who thinks they can say what they want to say about this medicine. And because there's no regulation, it's an open field. And therefore, the public is really not protected from from those who are taking chances, from those who are just fly-by-night producers or manufacturers, or anyone can actually say what they want and who's there to argue. So SAPRA then is, is being, you know, it has been tasked with setting up a working group and I'm part of that working group. And the task of that working group is to help SAPRA to develop a regulatory framework for, um, regulating uh, commercial products that arise out of traditional medicine use. So if anybody would bring a product onto the market, onto the large public space and say that it's a medicinal product, it heals this or claim that it heals this or that, there has to be regulation in place for that 
because you want to make sure that the public is protected. The medicines has to be safe, has to be efficacious, has to be of good quality. So it's still work in progress because we started only officially last year. And I can't say much about it in terms of the progress because, you know, we we still under obligation to keep um, things under wrap as we work on this process. But the, the framework is largely overdue and we really have been needing it for, for, for a long time. So it's about time we get to that point. Yeah. That's the point that I wanted to raise, how overdue it is that it only started last year. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they, they, there's been some strides made a few years back. There was a working committee which started working on this, but then due to many factors, um, it fizzled out, you know, the work stopped at some point. And now since last year, then SAPRA had to now, you know, get it off the ground, get it resurrect that whole process and appoint a working group now to feverishly work on this now because we are quite conscious now of the dire need for this framework. Additionally, you are a member of several different entities, so South African Society for Basic and Clinical Pharmacology, South African Association of Health Educationalists, the Toxicology Society of South Africa, the South African Society of Clinical Pharmacy. It seems that you are really an integral part of your discipline and being able to grow it, being able to give back to your communities. Yes, um, you know, professional development is an important aspect for a researcher, for an academic, for I think anyone within a specific career, you have to make sure that you develop professionally. And so joining a community of practitioners within your area of practice is, is the surest way of growth professionally. And just as an as an individual to grow within the the expertise that you would like to be called an expert on, so when you join a professional society, it's a, it's the fastest way of getting of growing, of learning, getting new information, meeting peers, you know, building up your own networks, partnerships within this because within these societies you get exposed especially when you're younger, you get exposed to peers as well as experts in the area, in the field. And you get to learn, you get to meet these people because societies usually have conferences and regular meetings where researchers share their findings. So for me particularly, it's I'll just speak about the South African Society for Basic and Clinical Pharmacology. Um, just as one. And this society is responsible for promoting, supporting, teaching, and, and the teaching for pharmacology as well as research for clinical pharmacology as well as basic pharmacology. So I joined this whilst I was still a student, an honor student, actually, because that's when you can join. And you grow within the, the, the society because then you get to be mentored you get to see pharmacology in motion. You get to see the people who teach pharmacology, who do research in pharmacology. You get to see the diverse areas of practice and you learn. You learn the practice. You learn the language of the practice. You learn you know, how to converse within the area. So it's, it's important when you're a younger 
upcoming academic a new researcher to, to involve yourself and become an active member. I'm actually now serving in the executive committee of this society. I'm a treasurer. So that's 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 just about growth and development as an individual within within your practice. Yeah. That's such a great piece of advice of being able to accelerate learning as an individual, accelerate learning within the fraternity of a discipline and contribute towards shaping it. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity. And today we're talking to Professor Mom Sholedi Motibe, who is the head of the Division of Pharmacology in the Faculty of Pharmacy at Rhodes University. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof Motibe, when I look at your profile, it really brings to light your tremendous track record of achievements, both from an academic perspective, as well as from a professional development point of view. You hold several important positions and effectively have become a role model to many young women who I would imagine aspire to your achievements. We know that STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and maths have been cited as being pivotal jobs, pivotal to jobs of the future. But there are so many reports which indicate that women are underrepresented in these fields. And obviously, that is going to create a gap and be a disadvantage to women in terms of looking at job opportunities. Do you think that in the South African context, it is conducive and supportive enough towards women in science? Um, What I can say is that, you know, there is awareness we are, we, you know, we are conscious that there is a need for women in science, women in STEM. There is support, uh, particularly in terms of legislation, you know, you know, government supports that. However, that has to translate to action on the ground. We have to be seen to be doing more towards achieving that. The call for women in STEM needs to start much early on in high schools, much early on in primary schools, much early on in in basic education. We have to start showing these various opportunities to girls as, as, as early as that, for them to see that opportunities are open for them too, you know. The, the one thing that I also think we should consciously do is, you know, usually careers are presented in a very gender-based approach. Like we, 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 we talk about careers and we genderize them, if I can say. And we need to be conscious of that. And, and, and it's something that is very deeply ingrained in, in our societies, in our communities, both, you know, in, even in education, you know, for an example, nursing, we know nursing is both a male and a female profession. However, it is largely still viewed as a female pro- profession, as a women profession, which is totally wrong. But the medical profession, in terms of being a medical doctor, the message is clear. We know as young girls and boys that you can be a doctor. So I'm not sure how we got to have that as a message so clearly delivered that it's there in the community, that it's known, that it's understood. Yet there are professions that we still just perceive as you know, more for male, more for female, more for women, more, you know. So I think our message in terms of 
you know, careers, professions should be clear. We should be, we should be clear about and very explicit about what we say about these careers. We, we, in terms of career guidance also, I think we, we need to show women in STEM a lot more, make it fashionable to girls as, as much as they're exposed to technology and this, let, let us see those scientists, let us see those women, they have to be accessible to, to these young girls and, and it will help, but it also means as communities, we have to start changing our thinking, you know, and communities across all sectors, not just, you know, ground level uh, communities, but even in education, even in other sectors, let's just be aware of how we phrase ourselves to, to upcoming uh, girls and boys. Thanks. It's that visibility factor that is so important. I, I can think of a couple of incidents. One was a a really amazing, amazing woman, uh, Annabelle Windlow, who used to fly President Mandela when uh, around the country when, when he was uh, in office. And she said when she would go out to, to schools, she would be wearing her uniform and yes. that the kids, the girls would be, you're a pilot. Can girls do that? Um, yeah. So See. it's this visibility. It is having this exposure. and looking towards people like you you are a role model you've done it this is the evidence living proof yeah tell us how did you come into pharmacology and enter the field uh, and taking stem subjects it's you know what is this question is it's very funny to me because when I trace back, I realized that I didn't know about pharmacology as, you know, even the word pharmacology itself, up until even in high school, I didn't really know what pharmacology was. All I knew was that I wanted to be a medical doctor. I grew up in a rural, in a village, which is largely rural. And, and so, you know, you, I didn't, I would not know that being a medical doctor means that you would be in pharmacology. I didn't know pharmacology is a word. It wasn't part of my vocabulary at all. But then when I, um, after high school, then I moved, I went to do my diploma in medical technology. That's when I really encountered pharmacology as a subject. And then I got to the realization that, oh, there are areas where you can actually learn about medicines, know about medicines and health without being a medical doctor or without being a nurse, you know? And so that's that's where my, my, my interest stemmed in and yeah, and then it grew from then. But it's very funny that I never even knew the existence of the word before I actually got to tertiary level. And, and, and that's largely <laughs> how I, I, I got into it by going to study for my diploma in medical technology at the Technicon. That's the, my first encounter pharmacology. And from there, the interest just grew, you know. Um, yeah. It's so true what you're saying. And I think there's this wonderful expression. It's, it's probably a bit overused, but what you don't know, you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> You don't know, you don't, yeah. Please, can you tell us what role education has played in your life? 
Sure, education is important, Dr. Malka. Education is important. I can't emphasize it more because it opens up the world for you. It opens up, you know, it allows you to see options. It allows you to see opportunities that exist. It makes the world easier to navigate when you have some level of education. It might not be easy or quick to achieve, or to get to the levels you wish to, but it's important that you just go through the system and get the education that you, you want. As I said, I grew up in a village. I grew up from, in my village is called Mamitake, is in Pumalanga, but it then used to be in the uh, in our homeland system, then it was in Buputatswana. That's where I schooled. <laughs> And I up until my metric. And as you can see, if you checked my all the qualifications I got, they go over a period of so many, many years. Because you know, it, it's how you 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 focus in terms of getting your education. You don't, it will not be as in a in, in a path that is very well defined as you think it will be, but it's important that you get your education. So for me in particular, after matric, um, you know, I wanted to be a medical doctor, but my results couldn't get me into medical school. And so I had to see options that are existing. Either I go do a bachelor of science degree or I go, I knew then about doing this course in, in a technicon, which are now called um, universities of technologies. Yeah. And what was interesting for me, what was very attractive for the course then medical technology that I studied for as a diploma is that when I looked at BSc, BSc would be a three-year degree, full-time study, theory-based, but with medical technology, then it was 18 months of theory at a technicon. And then thereafter, you go do your in-service training for 18 months. And whilst you do your in-service training, you're also getting paid stipend. And then you have your three-year diploma and you can get to work. It's a professional course. So after that, you are appointed as a medical technologist, which is something that, you know, is, is it's, it's an appreciable something to be appreciated out of um, universities of technologies. So that's largely how I, 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 I started from there and it just grew. I did pharmacology after that in, in as a degree, as an, uh, as an honors degree and master's until PhD. I love the progress in your career and everything has been a stepping stone and you've been very conscious about advancing onto the next level. So yes, mm -hmm. You did your degree, your diploma in medical technology. And I'm just going to go in chronological order to give our, our listeners a, a view of, of time spent. So that was 1993. Then your BSc in Madunsa, 1996. Then your BSc Honours in Pharmacology, 2001. Then your MSc in Pharmacology, 2007. Then <laughs> your doctorate in 2017 and you've got this lifelong learning let's say attitude about you and just to keep driving forward with progress keep pushing ahead for for development and those yeah, doors of opportunities open yes exactly and those opportunities 
are waiting out there to be, you know, to be taken. Once you get given these opportunities, you really have to run with them. And just a point of interest is that um, all of these qualifications, other than my national diploma, I did them part-time. That's why probably they spend the, 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 you know, the length of time that they take. So I just wanted to say that my, my real full-time study was when I did the diploma, was the 18 months I did at the Technicon. And after that, whilst working, then I did all my degrees up until this point. So it's possible. You just have to grab the opportunities that you that are that come your way. And sometimes, you know, life challenges you, but you still don't lose the focus. You don't lose the vision of where you want to go. And when you are in academia, these opportunities are available. And nobody can ever take your education away from you. Yes. You're in a leadership role. As a female leader, please tell us about some of the leadership strategies that you found to be most effective. Sure. And, and as, 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 as you now noted, you know, you, you, as you progress through life, you know, things get put in place. You, you get in, into relevant positions. And, and for me, ending up in a leadership role was also just as part of growth and development, you know, as you go along. I don't think there was a moment in my time when I sat and I was like, I want to be head of division or I want to be this. It just gravitating, you know, as you study, as you learn, as you gain experience, eventually that's where everything guides you to or leads you to. So as, as, a, as a leader and in terms of leadership strategies, you know, you'd go through leadership courses and they'll give you all the beautiful principles of leadership. And it's up to you what you take out of it. From a textbook perspective, they will tell you about all of those, be a transformative leader, be, you know, democratic leader, or so you choose. But the, the, the simplest and, and the most easiest things for me that helped is that you, you cannot lose focus. You cannot lose focus in terms of communication. You have to communicate. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Your, your, your message has to be clear. Your vision has to be clear to those you are leading. So be very explicit in how where you want to go and what is it that you want to do. Also, you know, and, and when I say be clear in, in, in your communicating, do not assume any unspoken messages. Do not assume that if someone doesn't say anything back, it means they're agreeing with you or it means they are fine with what you're saying. Make sure that that is what is understood. You know, unspoken language is, is not really clear in terms of communicating. Also trust yourself to lead. When you're put in a position of leading, sometimes it's out of a need. And so when you're put in that position, really go deep down and trust yourself to lead. And by that, I mean, be honest about your strengths and your shortcomings or your weaknesses. Where you know you need to, to equip yourself, do so because resources are always put in place to, to know support anyone, especially in institutions if you want to grow. So being honest about your strengths and weaknesses and 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 being confident in that position would help. So if you're honest about your, your, your abilities, you'll be confident because you will know what you can do and what you can do. What Where you cannot function or where you know you will not uh, be at 
you know, adequate or optimum, you'd ask for help. There's, there's no shame in requesting assistance. There's no shame in, in asking for information, you know, improving what you don't, improving on yourself to know. And also, I'm a woman in leadership. We've been led by males for quite a long time. It's what we are used to. We see their styles of management. We see how, we see how they do things when they manage. Be yourself. You know, there's, there's the, you, you are allowed as a female to bring the feminine side of things into leadership. You can be gentle but firm without and 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 you can be you know you can be that kind that female in the boardroom without losing the vision. So those are the things that I think we should keep in our heads all the time as we we navigate the course of leadership because you get challenged along the way. You get people who have perceptions about women leaders, you know, women in leadership, and they have their own ingrained and deeply entrenched beliefs that they will throw at you. And even when you know you're that person, you might be thrown back and you might be challenged to, to start and you might, you might feel the need to change how you approach things, but that's not the way to go. Remain rooted in your beliefs, in your, in your vision, in your focus, and in what you know will get you to, to reaching those goals. And communication is always the best. Mm. That, that that's really what I think would help yeah thank you for sharing your approach the pieces that come through for me is authenticity confidence yes. understanding your strengths understanding your weaknesses drawing on resources to not let's say not compensate weaknesses because I'm a great believer of working towards your strengths wow. but being able to build up around you and um, when you don't know something, being able to reach out and a communication, key keywords. Yes, yes, exactly. Communicate, communicate your needs also. Prof Motiba, we are unfortunately coming towards the end of the show. As we close our discussion today, please, can you share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to women and girls that are, are listening to us today? Sure. Do not lose focus. Do not lose focus of your dreams. Do not lose the, the drive towards achieving your success. And sometimes success is what you define for yourself. You know, you set up goals and reaching those goals is your success. Other people might not know about your goals, so they might not know that you have actually succeeded in reaching your goals. So do not lose focus and the path to success might not be what you defined. It might not be in a straight line as you thought it would be. It might not even um, take the time or, 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 or you might not achieve it in the shortest time possible that you want. Whatever time it takes, go for it. It will not be in a straight line. You know, it will not be in the time that you have designed but keep planning, forge ahead, don't lose the vision, don't lose the focus and reach for that dream no matter what life throws at you in terms of challenges, in terms of obstacles, keep going, do not give up. That's all I can say because you get opportunities thrown at you and opportunities will come from the most unexpected quarters of your life. 
grab opportunities and run with them. The same way that you'll get to encounter challenges, they'll come from the most unexpected quarters of your life and do not let challenges, um, you know, take you back or stop you on your trajectory to success. Challenges are actually just opportunities waiting to be unveiled. So keep up the momentum, keep up the vision, keep up the view for Jahid. That's all like, I, I think we all need to hear that as younger individuals who are aspiring to become who experts in our areas, leaders in, 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 in our spheres of life. Yeah. Thank you very much for that wonderful message. Thank you for sharing your time with us, taking us through some of the work you do, some of your personal experiences. It's been a pleasure to host you. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, it's the first time that I really get to talk about myself like that. You know, when you're a leader or when you grow, you, you get to talk about the collective. It's always about what you do with others. And when you get a platform to talk about yourself in particular in terms of motivating others, you know, it, it, it's something that takes you, that, that says reflect and reflect honestly. So I appreciate the opportunity and I'm glad you, you chose or you noticed me and, and thought I would be worthy of a, of a mentor to other upcoming girls, especially those in STEM. Yeah. But thank you once again for joining us. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and we have been talking to Professor Mamu Shaledi Motiba, who is head of the Division of Pharmacology in the Faculty of Pharmacy at Rhodes University.